0: All right, we come now to the preaching of the Word of God this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew 19. Matthew 19 this morning. Please join me in prayer as we ask for God's blessing on His Word. Let's pray. Lord, we come today and we want to thank you for grace for Your gracious nature, Lord, for the grace of the Gospel. And Lord, we want to stake our claim this morning in this prayer on the work of Jesus and not on our own works, God. We confess to You today that we are unworthy to receive blessing from You, Lord. Unworthy to, even as we hear this sermon, to be nourished in our souls. God, just like You feed our bodies every day, By grace, Lord, we ask that you would feed our souls this morning by your grace, Lord. Lord, you tell us in your word that you ransomed us from slavery. For freedom, Lord Jesus, you set us free. And you tell us to stand firm in it and never again to submit to a yoke of slavery. Lord, we pray that you would magnify the freeness of your gift today. And let it be a refreshment to our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew 19. And we're going to read God's word together. And then we're going to unpack it in the sermon. And that's called expositional teaching. That's the kind of teaching and preaching that we're committed to at Grace Community Church. Is the kind of teaching and preaching that exposes what's in the text of Holy Scripture. And so let's read God's Word together, beginning in verse 13. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he may lay his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked the people, and Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus laid his hands on them and they went away. That's the reading of God's word this morning to Grace Community Church. That's God's word to us this morning. We have a word from Jesus Christ about children and the kingdom of heaven. So let's unpack it together. I want you to think about the prayer that every disciple ought to pray and and likely has prayed. That prayer that sounds something like this. Lord Jesus, teach me your ways. I am yours. Show me your ways. I want to live in such a way, Lord Jesus, that pleases you. Show me your ways, Lord. I want you to think about how unique these chapters in Matthew's gospel are in relation to a prayer like that. Let me explain. Matthew's gospel is rapidly approaching the city of Jerusalem. In chapter 21, Jesus is going to enter the holy city. And he's going to enter the final week of his earthly life. And we call that Passion Week. And the Gospel of Matthew is moving towards this final week where the Lord Jesus will finish his work that the Father has given him to accomplish. Now the chapters that are leading up to chapter 21, they're like Jesus' uh, finishing school, you could call it that, for his apostles. We see uh, in this teaching block, he's revisiting these discipleship lessons, these These truths, these values that he is seeking to depart, to impart into these men who are going to represent him once he ascends to the father. Once Jesus ascends to the father, these are the men that are going to lay the foundation of the church of Jesus. And so you see the Lord continuously going back to these discipleship lessons in these final final chapters of Matthew's gospel we know the theme of this chapter is the kingdom of heaven and we know that because of how many times that phrase is repeated in Matthew 19 it's, it's, you see it in verse 12 you see it again in verse 14 you see it again in verse 23 kingdom of heaven again in verse 24 and in the first verse of the very next chapter chapter 20 verse 1 again the kingdom of heaven And so when we pray, Lord Jesus, show me your ways. One of the things that needs to be on our radar that Jesus wants you to know about the kingdom of heaven, what it's like, what its values are. He wants to impart that deeply into his followers. And so these lessons in chapters 19, they ought to grab our attention. Hey, Lord Jesus, show me your ways. Last week, He showed us His ways about marriage and divorce. Okay, He gave us His Word, the Word of the Kingdom in this specific sphere. And then this week, we're still in that family realm. He's going to give us His Word on children. The, the value of children in the Kingdom of Heaven. Alright, that's where we're headed this morning. I want you to notice the setting of this passage in verses 13 and 15. It's it's very ordinary when you compare it to a lot of other places in the Gospels. And what I mean by that is there are no miracles here. There is no uh, demons in this story. Um, There are no healings in this account. This is just parents... You know, in this ordinary setting, bringing their children to be blessed by Jesus Christ. And yet in this ordinary story, Jesus is going to impart these countercultural values of the kingdom of heaven. And over and over again, we saw this, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, that when Jesus uh, enters in with his teaching about the kingdom of heaven, it's like this upside down counterculture where he turns the values of the world upside down in his kingdom it's actually the right side up and we're going to see the lord jesus do that same thing in this passage now there's a few introductory matters that i want us to handle on the front end and then we're going to walk into a heavy time of exhortation we want to we want to learn how how this passage exhorts us to live in a way that pleases god One introductory matter is uh, about these children. Now, we're going to come back to this as we close about the nature of children, something in the constitution of children that Jesus is going to draw an analogy of what it's like to enter the kingdom of heaven. But I want you to notice it here that it says that these children were brought to Jesus, they're brought to him. These are very young children. And, and this, is, this, is, this goes right along with that natural dependence of children upon their parents. The younger the child, the clearer this principle. Children are brought places by other people. They're not you know, in charge. They're being cared for by others. They don't go places on their own. They're brought places by their parents. The word for children here translated little children in verse 14 covers a broad range of children from birth to teenage years to preteen years so imagine in this setting a bunch of parents okay and little children being brought to Jesus from zero to preteen you know kids Luke's gospel 18 chapter 18 verse 15 tells us that even infants Are being brought to the Lord Jesus. That he would lay his hand on them. And that he would bless them. That he would pray for them. And that he would bless them. So these are little children in this story. And that's going to be important. As we see who's not excluded from the kingdom of heaven. It is is a commendable desire for parents to bring They're to seek the blessing of God for their children. And so we see that in this in this setting that these unnamed parents are bringing these unnamed children to Jesus for a blessing. And there's nothing that they ought to desire more than that in their kids life. Uh, there's, there, there's nothing you know, that, that needs more attention, needs more prayers. There's no stronger desire that ought to be in the heart of a Christian parent than that God would bless their son or their daughter. Our prayer for our children ought to be like the prayer of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, we are told that Noah found grace Our favor in the eyes of God. Completely unattached to anything that Noah had ever done. In other words, when we desire to God to bless our children, we're asking for grace. We're asking for mercy. We're asking for the free distribution of God's gracious gifts. Just like we prayed for before we began this morning. That God would look with favor upon this little one. That's the blessing that they are seeking For their children. Now in Israel. They had scriptural grounds. To do what we find them doing. In this story. Seeking out a holy man. Asking for him to pray. A prayer of blessing. For their children. I want us to remember that in Israel. Under the old covenant. The blessing of the Lord was mediated. Through a priesthood. Listen to these words. From Numbers Chapter six. This is the prayer of blessing that the sons of Levi, the sons of Aaron were charged to place upon the children of Israel. Number six, verse twenty two says the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you. And keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Now we also have scriptural warrant in the Old Testament. For young children receiving the blessing of the Lord. And a really good place to see this is in Genesis 48. When Israel began to bless his 12 sons. In Genesis 48. The blessing of Joseph was actually given to Joseph's two sons. Ephraim and Manasseh. And they were children at that time. And Israel gives them the blessing of the Lord. While they are children. They're being blessed by the Lord. And so what we have here in this passage is parents that desire Jesus the Messiah to lay his holy hands on their children and pray for God's blessing on their son or their daughter. And let's just note this. There's not a better thing in the world that they could have done for their children. Charles Spurgeon says this. What, what the touch of, that, of the Savior's hand would have meant, no pen could ever write. They wanted Jesus to, to lay his hands on their children and to call out to God the Father to bless their son and their daughter. There's not a better thing in the world that they could have done for their children. But, we're told in this passage, the disciples rebuked these parents. This is a shocking you know, intrusion into this story. Like what are, we, what are they doing wrong here? And we see that the disciples hindering these parents actually draws down a correction or rebuke from the Lord Jesus. But let's handle this on the front end. Why did the disciples rebuke the parents for bringing their kids that, that Jesus would lay hands on their children and pray for them? Well, why in the world would you do that? Well... Most commentators agree that the disciples assumed here that these children are too unimportant to be brought to the most important man in the world, Jesus Christ. So what we have here most likely is a value problem. Jesus is really, really, really important. Therefore, Jesus' time is really, really, really important. And the mistake that the disciples make is they have... Push the children, the little children in the category of not important enough to, to eat up Jesus's attention. Not enough bandwidth in his schedule to be given to these unimportant children. Now, maybe their mistake was pragmatism. That, you know, Jesus has only got a limited amount of time. He's got to be, you know, doing the most important things. Healing the sick, raising the dead, making his way to Jerusalem. He doesn't have enough time for these other things, though they may be uh, important, but they're less important. Maybe it was pragmatism. Most likely, what they're rebuked for in this passage is worldliness. Okay, They're rebuked for worldliness. And we need to understand that Christians can be guilty of worldliness. Okay. You, as a follower of Christ, can be guilty of allowing the value systems of the world to intrude into your relationship with God, into the way you think about the world. Now, this should have been clear from the Old Testament. The Old Testament teaches that children are to be highly valued in Israel. Listen to these words from Psalm 127. So Psalm about the family verse 3 says this, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the of the womb is a reward. So everything about raising children, and children in Israel should have had that banner over it that they are a heritage, these children are a reward from the Lord, but here is the problem. The Greco-Roman culture which is the background of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the setting of the Gospels, the Greco-Roman culture did not attach a high value upon children. They were lowly esteemed. They were thought to be negligible. They were thought to be unimportant members of society. Their place was thought to be in the background, the unimportant ones. And so what we have here... Is that these disciples rebuked the parents for bringing their kids. When they did that, their actions in that moment were more like citizens of the world than citizens of the kingdom. Which is exactly why Jesus has got them in finishing school on the way to Jerusalem. That's a big problem. Jesus notices that problem and he enters in with correction and teaching in this passage. There's worldliness That has to be banished from these apostles. Why? Because these are the men that are going to spread the kingdom. After Jesus is ascended. To the right hand of God. And Jesus has got to get this value drilled down. That children are not unimportant. In the kingdom of heaven. For their error. They are rebuked by Jesus. In verse 14. Jesus says these words. Let The children come to me and do not hinder them. Translation, stop that. Let them come. Don't do that anymore. Let them come. Do not hinder them. Do not forbid them. Don't do that. Do this instead. Let the little children come to me. Now that's the setting of the passage. That's the plain sense of what is here. And I want us to ask this morning, what can we learn from this text? What's our takeaway here? And there's actually more than first meets the eye. I want to break down this text under five questions this morning. The five questions are these. What does this passage tell us about parents? What does this passage tell us about disciples? What does this passage tell us about Jesus? What does this passage tell us about children? And what does this passage tell us about the kingdom of heaven? Now as we answer each of those five questions, we're going to be exhorted by this text of Scripture in each of those five categories. We're going to be exhorted to take up the values of Jesus Christ, the values of of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to be exhorted the same way that Jesus exhorted the disciples in this story. So let's start with that first question. What can we learn from this passage about parents and parenting? Okay? These parents in this passage are examples of wisdom to us. Okay? These aren't parents who are, you know, uh, ignoring their children. Ignoring the state of their soul. These are parents that are seeking a blessing for their children. And they're wise to do so. They're seeking a blessing for their little children. Listen. Before their children are old enough to seek that blessing for themselves. That's godly parenting. In other words, this passage gives us an example of wise parenting. Godly parenting, parents that are concerned for the souls of their children. Their desire is simple and yet profound. Lord Jesus, bless my child. Lord Jesus, bless my child. Notice that they sought the right thing in the right way. They're seeking blessing for their children That's the right thing and they're seeking it in the right way from Jesus Christ. From Jesus Christ. And this is what godly parents do. Godly parents know that their children are sinners. They don't buy the nonsense of the world that, you know, uh, children are innocent, that their children are uh, they are cute, but they're not just cute. They, They need help. They need grace from God. They're in danger. They're in Adam. They need Jesus. They know that about their children. They're sinners. Lord, they need your mercy. They need your grace. Godly parents know that their children are sinners and godly parents know that the only place to find that grace that they need is Jesus Christ. Christ alone. There's no other place we can find it. This is this is the only way to the Father, the only name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Christ and Christ alone. So we have a positive a positive example in this text that we should that we should go and do likewise. We have an example of godly Parenting. Godly parents bring their kids to Jesus. Godly parents bring their kids to Jesus. Now, these are very unique circumstances. Okay. We Jesus is at the right hand of God right now. Okay? I don't know if you knew that, but Jesus is no longer in his earthly life and his earthly ministry. He finished all that. His body has been glorified. He's been raised and he sits at the right hand of the father and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's where Jesus is right now. And so we as parents, we can't do exactly what they did. In this story of physically bringing our children to Jesus, asking Jesus to lay his hands on our children and to bless our children. But we can do like these parents did and we can spiritually bring our children to Jesus and ask for blessing. And the Bible teaches that we do this in mainly three ways. So if you ever study this out, what is godly parenting in Scripture? What are the means? What are the means by which we try to bring blessing to our children? The means that we try to lead our children to Christ, lead our children to salvation. And you could summarize these under three, three different, uh, three different words: prayer, teaching, and discipline. Prayer, teaching, and discipline. Think of these as the three-legged stool of godly parenting. In other words, if you were to ever ask the Bible, what are the scriptural means that I need to employ as a parent to bring my son or daughter to Jesus? Prayer, teaching, and discipline. I want you to listen to this quote from J.C. Ryle. And think about how important it is as a parent. To use the scriptural means that God has given us in his word to bring little ones to Jesus Christ. God has given us his word. He's given us light from his word. I want you to think about how important this should be to you as a parent. Listen to J.C. Ryle. He says this. We must never allow ourselves to suppose that little children's souls may be safely left alone. Their trajectory of life depends exceedingly on what they see and hear during their first seven years. Christian parents who do not use every scriptural means to bring children to Christ are committing a great sin. Are committing a great sin. Parents, this is our duty above all other duties as a parent to bring our kids to Jesus. And so I want you to I want us to lean in and listen uh, and be exhorted from this passage in these three areas: prayer, teaching, and discipline. Christian parents should seek the Lord in prayer. On behalf of our children. This almost goes without saying, but we're not going to leave it without saying. We're going to say it, okay? We should pray for our children. We should seek a blessing for our children before they're old enough to seek a blessing for themselves. There's a prayer in Judges 13 that's made a deep impact on me by a man named Manoah. And in Judges 13, Manoah and his wife received this promise that they're going to have this son. And they receive this angelic visitation, this word from God that God's going to give them a son. And before that little one is ever born, the man of God just starts praying. Starts praying for his kid. And here's what he says. Judges 13 verse 12, Manoah said, Now when your words come true, What is to be this child's manner of life and what is his mission before he ever was born into the world? There's no birth certificate yet. And you got a praying daddy saying, Lord, this kid belongs to you. How's he supposed to live? You have a claim on him? What's his manner of life? What, what, what is the path that you desire him to walk? And what is his mission, Lord? What do you desire for him to accomplish for your name in this world? You've got to pray in daddy before a son is ever born. Seeking a blessing from God for his kids. It's never too late to pray like this for your kids. You should seek the blessing of the Lord. In prayer you should seek it diligently. You should pray often that that your children would find grace and favor and mercy in the eyes of the Lord. Get rid of that merit stuff. They don't deserve any of God's blessing. Any of God's gifts. You're praying for gospel grace in their life. Prayer. But not only prayer. Teaching and Discipline are also means of bringing our children to Christ. You see this in in Ephesians 6, 4. And we're told that the children of every Christian family are to be brought up, listen, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Pray for your kids, discipline your kids, and instruct your kids. And that discipline and instruction is to be the discipline and instruction of Lord the Lord. Think about it like this. There's this disposition that ought to be in the heart of every godly parent that God you have given me children and now I want to give them back to you. I want to entrust them back to you. And we see this prayer in the Old Testament that Hannah receives Samuel, that promised son from the Lord. And what does she do? God gives her a kid and she does what? She gives him back to the Lord in prayer. She entrusts him back to Yahweh, his God, to the Lord, his God. And we ought to do that. We are to bring up our children. Listen, not in our own discipline instruction. That's not what the text says, but in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that claim that Yahweh, the Lord God, has upon their life, we have to. We are charged to bring them up in that path, to restrain them, to fill up their minds with His truth. Discipline and instruction. We should teach our children. Again, it goes without saying, but we're not going to leave it without saying. We should teach our children. We should teach them the law of God. I hope you know that we should teach our children the law of God, all of God's commandments. We should teach them how that law comes to them in the two different states of life. We should teach them that in their lost state, that law comes to them as a hammer, a ministry of condemnation that shows them that they can never do enough to be right with God. That law is their schoolmaster that leads them to put their trust in Jesus Christ that they can never do enough. They can never uh, obey enough to be right with God. The law of God indicts them. We should show them that from God's word. And we should show them also that that law comes to them as believers, as they're trusting in Christ, as a rule of life. A way to walk in God's commandments. In obedience to the Father. To bring Him pleasure. To please Him with their life. We ought to teach our children the law of God. All of His commandments. We should teach them often. We should write them on the doorpost of our house. Deuteronomy 6 says. We should teach our children the gospel. I mean if anything goes without saying. That should go without saying. We should speak often of the good news of salvation Through faith in Jesus. We should exalt the gospel in our homes. We should look for every opportunity to draw attention to the Lord Jesus and his finished work. We should teach that Jesus is the savior of sinners. The savior of the world. That his gospel is good news of great joy for all people. And we should hold it out to them often that this is good news for you. That you can be saved from your sin because Jesus died and rose again. And He's offered salvation to all who believe through faith in His name. We should teach our children the gospel. We should teach them often. We should teach our children Jesus and all the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, we should show our children all the ways that God's word bears witness to God's son, Old Testament and New Testament. We ought not to let them fall in that trap of reading the Old Testament like this moralistic, you know, fable fairy tale. We should show them this is about Jesus. This is about your savior. This is about the one who is at the right hand of God. We should teach our children the law, we should teach them the gospel, we should teach our children Jesus and all of scripture and we should labor to give them the testimony of Timothy. Paul says this about Timothy in 2 Timothy 3:15 that from childhood he was acquainted with the sacred writings. Think of the gift I mean, think of how much better that is than from childhood you were seeded $10 million. He says to Timothy, from childhood you were acquainted with the sacred writings, and he says this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Give that gift to your children. Acquaint them with the sacred writings. Make them wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We should teach our children. And we should guard that teaching with discipline. Proverbs calls this the rod. It's part of the way that Christian families love their children. Discipline restrains our children's sin. And commands our children's attention. And so we should bring them to Christ through prayer. We should bring them to, to Christ Through teaching, we should bring them to Christ through discipline, and we should pour our whole souls into this work. We should do it diligently. Diligently. Your children are your primary ministry for the Lord. They're your primary ministry for the Lord. Therefore, this should be a priority in your life of Lord. Help me to bring my children to Jesus Christ. Help me not to be negligent. Question number one. What does this passage teach us about parenting? We have examples here of wise parents. Godly parents who bring their children to Jesus. And we should do likewise. We should do likewise. Number two. We also have a negative example for us in this passage. And it's it's the example of the disciples. Their view of children needed realigning by Jesus' teaching. And they really made two mistakes. The first was at the level of their values were off. They're devaluing children. They think them to be unimportant. And then secondly, they they actively take steps to hinder children from coming to Jesus. And they're rebuked for that. And so we want to give attention to both of these. We are warned about their low view of children in this passage. And we want to take heed to that warning that that same low view can creep into the life of a Christian. And so we want to identify all the ways that low views of children could creep into our life, and we want to turn from them. We want to turn from them. A right view of children begins with a willingness... A willingness to have children. Uh, A a right view of children. In other words, a low view of children is just just revealed right off the bat right here. With that mindset that says, I don't want kids. That's not an option for a Christian. I hope you understand that. Like, that's not an option for a Christian. What are children? A heritage from the Lord. They're a reward. In other words, I mean, this is not everything. Okay, uh, Just because you desire to have children one day doesn't mean that your view of kids is high enough. But this is the base. This is the ground floor level of a desire to have children. OK. Part of God's design in Christian marriage is desiring godly offspring. We see this from the prophet Malachi. And there are couples that get married and say, yeah, I just don't want to have kids. I just don't want to have kids. That's not okay for Christians. Okay? That's not okay for Christians. We're not talking about couples that struggle with infertility. We're not talking about rare circumstances like Ryan brought to us last week of someone who makes themselves a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven. We're not talking about that. We're talking about Christian husbands and wives should desire children. If you don't, your views are low. And they need to be realigned. They need to be adjusted by the teaching of jesus christ starts with a desire to have children and raise children but it runs deeper than that it runs deeper than that low views of kids are seen in how you spend your time so ask yourself that this morning do you make time for children we have explicit teaching in this passage that jesus did I mean, we're told there, there are there are Mark one is a perfect example of this, that Jesus is stretched so thin in his ministry that he's having to get up before the sun rises just to go be alone with the father. He's got whole towns. You know, you might have a little one knocking on your door saying, you know, hey, can I can I do this thing? Jesus has whole cities saying, where are you? And he's making time for children. They're not too unimportant for our Lord. Do you make time for children? Or are they like background noise to you while you're running around doing all your really important stuff? You need to be careful, disciples of Jesus, that you're not locking yourself into patterns, into ways of living that that, that just making no time for kids, you're communicating that they're unimportant. They're not important enough for you. We want to be reformed in this area. Low views of kids are also seen in who you talk to. I mean, this sounds so basic, but I want to mention it. Do you talk to children? It's one of the things that, you know, I I notice. I know, you know, uh, you notice this. Like, do you talk to kids? I mean, it means so much to you as a parent. When somebody takes the time to do this, drop down about three feet. And ask your little one a question about how they're doing or about what's going on in life. It means so much that you got all this conversation eye level up here. And somebody cares enough to drop down and address the little ones. Low views of children are are revealed in your conversation. They're also revealed in who you pray for. Do you pray for children? In your own family and in this church? Are they important enough to you... That you take them to the throne of grace and ask for a blessing for these little ones. We want to highly value children at Grace Community Church. This is the teaching of the kingdom. We don't want to be rebuked like the disciples are rebuked here. Second warning. These disciples placed active hindrances in the way of children coming to Jesus. And we want to be warned by that. In the, church, in the church, we want to make sure that all the hindrances to childhood salvation are completely obliterated. We want that path to the Savior to be wide open. No hindrances, no hurdles to jump over. We want all those obstacles removed. And we want that highway opened up for our children to come to Jesus Christ. I'll mention four hindrances. We could say even more. Number one, the hindrance of apathy. An apathetic church is a hindrance to children coming to Jesus. Say, so what do you mean? A church that ignores kids. A church, <clears throat> a church that withholds influence. From children, that positive influence that that they otherwise would have if they gave attention to the diligent use of the means that God has given them. When that is withheld from a child, it is a hindrance to them. It's not just a net zero neutral thing, it's an actual hindrance to them because, listen, if we withhold our influence, the devil is not going to withhold anything from our children. In other words, if we leave that vacuum in their life and we're not influencing them in the way that God has called us to, there are a lot of voices in the world that are ready to jump right in. It's a hindrance. An apathetic church is a hindrance to children coming to Jesus Christ. Number two, a hypocritical church is a hindrance to children, to children coming to Jesus Nothing does more damage to the gospel than a hypocritical lifestyle from those who profess the gospel. And listen, kids pick up on this. They know it. Before they ever learn how to write, you know, a dissertation or a research paper, they can smell hypocrisy. They can. And hypocrisy is a great hindrance to children coming to Christ. Number three. A worldly church is a hindrance to children. children. Thank you, Hunter. (laughs) I'm going to take a pause. This is really bad. (laughs) Blame it on the (laughs) pollen. Number three. A worldly church is a hindrance to children. When those whom God has placed around kids to bring them to Christ spend more energy preparing children for life in the world than life in the kingdom of heaven, they are hindered from coming to Jesus. You say, what do you mean? I mean, boatloads of energy, attention and resources into education Sports, lessons, social activities, and not putting the emphasis on life in the kingdom, preparing them for another world, not just for this world. This is a hindrance to them. We ought to teach them what really matters in this world, their souls and the glory of Jesus Christ. A worldly church is a hindrance to children. And number four, a hyper Calvinist church is a hindrance To children. When a church or parents never call children to come to faith in Jesus Christ, children are hindered. The hyper-Calvinist disposition is if God wants to save my kids, He'll do it. He don't need me. But the right heart is I will avail myself of every means in the word of God to bring my children to Jesus Christ. I will pray for them. I will teach them. I will administer discipline to them. God has never told us to passively hope things turn out for the best. He has told us to preach the gospel. He's told us to be his ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians 5, he tells us that Christ pleads through us as we preach the gospel to the world as though Christ were pleading through us to be reconciled to God. We are those ministers of reconciliation in the lives of the children all around us. And think about it this way. If Christ rebuked those who hindered children from coming physically, How much more will he rebuke those who hinder children from coming spiritually for salvation, for blessing to him? We have a heavy warning in this passage. We must remove every obstacle. Moving on, what does this passage tell us about Jesus? What does this passage tell us about our Savior? It shows us that Jesus loves children. And I hope you love this about your Savior. That in this setting where the disciples are judging these little ones as too unimportant, He values those that are devalued by the world. He isn't caught up in it for a moment. He loves them, He values them. And so, what do we have here? We have the highest of kings. The king of kings and the Lord of lords inviting little children to come to him. He gives them his attention. He takes the time to bless them one by one. Luke says he takes them in his arms one by one. He's praying for them. He's taken the time and there's never been a man more important than Jesus walking planet Earth. Never been one with more authority, more grandeur. And yet you see this disposition to stoop down and love these little ones. And listen, this is not like a politician kissing babies. okay? like, oh, I'm trying to get the votes. Got to kiss the babies. There's nothing like that. This is the real thing. Real love and the heart of the God man is pulsing for these little ones. Everybody else is looking over them. Jesus isn't looking over them. He loves them. He says, Don't do that anymore. Let them come to me. He values them. He's the shepherd. This is the shepherd care for all the sheep. And this is the one of the ways that we see his tendernesses and his love for the downcast, the undervalued, the little ones. Isaiah 40 says this about Jesus. Forty eleven. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. If you ever had any doubt, this passage ought to solve this doubt. Jesus is not an adult-only savior. He is not. His gospel is not an adult-only gospel. When he was born. You remember what they announced at his birth? Good news, great joy, somebody finish it. All peoples, even children. Good news of great joy for all peoples, even children. Closely tied to what this passage teaches us about Jesus and shows us about Jesus is what this passage teaches us about children. And so I want to ask for, I know a lot of you children are already giving me your attention, and I love it, okay? But I want to ask for some special attention this morning, especially from all the young children in the room, okay? This is the most important thing that you can learn today, right? There's a lot of important things that you could learn. This is the most important thing that you can learn, listen, You matter to Jesus Christ. He does not ignore you. He values you. You matter to Jesus Christ. And listen, here's the most important thing. You don't have to wait until you're older to be a Christian. You don't have to wait until you're older to come to Jesus. I want to remind you very simply, what Jesus says, and it is awesome for you. It is good news for you. He says, This, let the little children come to me. I mean, isn't that awesome this morning that Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one whom all of heaven is gathered around in Revelation 4, singing, Holy is his name? He says, This, highest of kings, let the little children come to me. And so kids, I want you to think for just a moment. What should you do? If that's what Jesus said, if this is what Jesus said, let the little children come to me. What should you do? What should you do as a little child? That's exactly right. You should come to to Jesus you should come to him if he invites you to come you you are invited you're you're not intruding upon Jesus he is inviting you to come to him to put your trust in Jesus you should come to Jesus and I want to answer three questions for you I want this to be really clear for you why should you come to Jesus okay why should you come Because you're a sinner. You should come to Jesus because you're a sinner. And Jesus is the only Savior of sinners. That's why you should come. You should come because you're a sinner. And He's the Savior. And He explicitly called you to come. That's why you should come. You don't need a better reason than that. To come. How should you come? To Jesus Christ. Listen closely here. You should come. Only with faith, not trusting one bit in any good thing you have ever done. You should come only with faith, trusting only in Jesus to save you. That's how you should come. You should come to him believing and trusting. Last one, when should you come? When should you come to Jesus? And this is so important for you to get. Because one of the biggest lies that the devil tells children is this. That you can believe the gospel when you get bigger. Or you'll do that one day. Or you can't do that until you're older. But listen, the Bible says this. Today is the day of salvation. That's the devil. Jesus says you can come to him now. Jesus says you can put your trust in him now. And I want to read one phrase from Ecclesiastes 12 and I want you to meditate on this. Okay? Maybe ask your parents about this sometime this afternoon. Listen to what the Bible says about your youth. Ecclesiastes 12:1 says this, "Remember also your creator in the days of your youth." When should you come to Jesus? In your youth. Not when you get older. Not when you get even a little bit older. You should come to him while you're a little one, while you're a little child. Little children, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Finally, what does this passage teach us about the kingdom of heaven? Look at verse 14. Jesus' statement in verse 14 has been understood by some to mean that all children are automatically in the kingdom. But I want you to notice closely that that's not what Jesus said. Verse 14, he did not say, to these belong the kingdom. He said, to such as these belong the kingdom. This is the language of metaphor in the word of God. The exact same thing he was teaching at the beginning of Matthew chapter 18. Much like we saw at the beginning of chapter 18. Jesus is using something about the constitution of children. To illustrate a truth about the kingdom of heaven. And it's not the innocence of a child. We've already covered that. Children are not innocent. That's not the point here. It's it's that natural trusting disposition. Of a child, that natural dependence of a child upon a parent illustrates what it's like to come into the kingdom of heaven by grace alone, by faith alone. It's a perfect illustration. Say, what do you mean? Well, I mean this children are moochers, okay? And I mean that in a really good way. I don't mean anything negative by that. Children are moochers, okay? They contribute nothing to the dinner table or to the bank account. They just take. They're not providers, they're takers, okay? And listen, the younger the child, the clearer that principle. Don't get any ideas if you're 15, okay? That's not something to weaponize on your parents, all right? The younger the child, the clearer this principle that they are takers, not providers. In this way, in that way, children are a powerful illustration of salvation by grace Jesus is teaching in this passage that those who enter the kingdom they don't contribute anything you know it's not like Jesus bakes the cake and you put the icing on the cake you don't contribute anything to your status in the kingdom it's only freely received it's like a Child, depending upon the provision of the parent, all kingdom citizens are depending upon the grace of the king alone. The kingdom of heaven is a gift given and never, ever a wage earned. You can't enter the kingdom by intellectual skepticism. You know, like I'm just going to enter the kingdom by answering all my questions. can't enter the kingdom like that. You have to come like a trusting child. You can't enter the kingdom with all this worldly status that you think you're a somebody in this world and that the kingdom of heaven is lucky to have you on its team. You can't come like that. you got to drop that status. you got to take up the status of a child if you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And isn't it interesting? You know, that call to get low, to become childlike, to receive everything as a gift from God, it assaults human pride. It assaults pride to be told we we can't bring anything in because nothing's good enough. That's, that that assaults our pride. That's a call to humility. And it isn't it interesting that the very next story in Matthew's gospel is about a rich young man who was unwilling to give up his status in this world to enter the kingdom of heaven. He thought he was a somebody in this world. He thought he was a somebody in this world and he wasn't willing to become a nobody to follow Jesus, to gain to gain citizenship in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of grace alone. Grace alone. None of us can earn God's favor and God's blessing, none of us can do enough that God would ever be indebted to us in any way to give us gifts or to give us blessing. And to every person who sees that truth, who believes that truth, that I could never put God in my debt. To all those who have labored hard under guilt and the power of sin, Jesus came to save you and you can enter the kingdom. You can enter the kingdom. All you have to do is come. And all you have to do is come like a child with nothing in your hand. You have to receive it freely. You cannot get this wrong. You cannot get this wrong. You can't smuggle in 20% of your supposed goodness and 80% trusting. You have to leave it all. Nothing in your hands. You have to receive it freely because Jesus has already paid for every single bit of your sin. Listen to his call in Matthew 11. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord, we ask today that you would cause the seed of your word to bring nourishments to our souls. Lord, we pray that you would increase our love for Jesus Christ Lord, we pray that you would make us lovers of the gospel of the grace of God. Lord, we pray today for the children that are all around us. And God, we pray that you would bless them. Lord, we pray that they would find favor in your sight, Lord. Not because of anything that they've done or failed to do, but because of your mercy, God. Be merciful. To our children, Lord, bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would glorify your name in this church as the savior of little ones. That you would even demonstrate, Lord, the power of your Holy Spirit to own little hearts. To flood those hearts with trust and zeal for your glory. Trust in your gospel, love for your word, desires to serve you in this world. Lord, raise them up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God together this morning.